Thank you for downloading this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We pray that you receive encouragement from the study of God's Holy Word and that you will grow in the faith and understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. Epic fails. I want to share some epic fails with you. And actually, I think this has relevance in my message today. I really do. It's not just a, I think it's an interesting list, but um, I'll tell you one epic fail as a Packer fan. We could have had Barry Sanders in the draft. Anybody remember that? We took Tony Mandrich instead. Oh, yeah. Who's, yeah, some of you old Packer fans remember that. Tony Mandrich. Who's Tony Mandrich? Exactly. Barry Sanders, on the other hand, is in the NFL Hall of Fame. All right, whatever. Here's some epic misses. And I'm diving in with the message with this. We're here we go. We're just giving it a shot. 1873, Thomas Edison does his light bulb thing, and a British government committee said it was okay for our transatlantic friend, as they reviewed this, whether or not it's good for Britain, and they said it's okay for our transatlantic friends, for us Americans, but unworthy of the attention of practical or scientific men. I guess the candles are much better for Britain. Western Union and the telephone. Alexander Graham Bell, he invents his telephone, right? He goes to Western Union, and he said, I'll sell it to you for $100,000. And they said, no. <laughs> People don't want to use that device. They called it, and the quote is, idiotic. People would much prefer to go to their telegraph office and send a telegraph. They had a chance, didn't they? They had a chance. Western Union could have been our thing. Um, the Beatles. You ever hear a band called The Beatles? They tried to get some record companies to do a thing for them, right? To allow them to do their records and, you know, produce. And all these companies said no, including this big company that's no longer around today, but they went with a little company called DECA. And DECA said, sure, we'll sign you. You know, they're hungry to be successful. And boy, what a home run that was. But this other company that, uh, that went out of business was a leader of the time. Mmm, epic fail. Kodak and the digital camera. Now, this is not that long ago. In 1975, one of Kodak's engineers, so this was a Kodak employee, an employee of Kodak in 1975. So not, we're not, not that long ago. His name is Steven Sasson, developed an early concept for something he called a digital camera. He told his, employee, his employers, and he thought they would be good for this project to his. They said, no, no, we've, we make film here, buddy. We're really good at film. Nobody wants that device. They had it in their own, their own company. They had the chance to produce it, and they didn't do it. Hewlett Packard. Now, they're, pretty, they're still a pretty big company, but they used to be bigger not that long ago. And they, uh, actually, you know, I have a Hewlett Packard printer in my house, but they had a chance at the computer because they had this fellow named Steve Wozniak. Anybody heard of Steve Wozniak? <laughs> One of the two guys. I'll say the other guy here in a minute. Uh, he was an employee for Hewlett Packard. He worked for them. So he goes to them and he said, I got this great idea. I want to make a personal computer and I think I know how to do it. And they said, people don't want personal computers in their homes. <coughs> So he went to, he found his friend, Steve Jobs, and they formed Apple. Did you ever hear of Apple? Oh, epic fail, Hewlett Packard. Um, <clears throat> there was a company called Excite back in the 90s. Anybody remember Excite? A few of you? Excite was a, one of the, they were a big company in the 90s at the start of the 
the tech or the dot-com kind of era. And uh, they had the chance for a million dollars. There was a, a couple folks from this upstart young company called Google. And Google went to Excite and said, we'd like to sell our stuff to you for a million dollars. And Excite said, a million dollars? That's crazy money. And Google went back, they went back and they thought about it. They said, okay, we're going to lower it to 750000 And Excite said, what? That's crazy. We don't want to buy that for $750,000. We know the story. Two years after that proposition, by the way, Excite filed for bankruptcy. And Google is Google. Blockbuster. <laughs> that used to be the place to go, you know? Remember all these private ma and pa family video shops? Then Blockbuster came in and just blew them away. Well, they had a chance. There was a, a new company that was starting, and they were on shaky ground. But they were willing, Netflix was willing to sell itself for $50 million to Blockbuster. And Blockbuster's like, no, we do, we do cassette rentals. That's what we do. No one's going to want your idea. Cassette rentals is where it's at. And they turned them down. Oh, Blockbuster. And finally, anybody remember MySpace? Yeah. <laughs> how many of you, let's be honest, how many of you had a MySpace account? Yeah, all right. A good number in the room. So MySpace was a thriving uh, company online. And this young upstart company called Facebook came along the way and they started talking about selling to MySpace. And of course, MySpace was really happy with their product. Nobody's going to want Facebook. <laughs> These are terrible fails. These are people, for the most part, that had the chance to be early on in some sort of technology and make a heap of money. You know, sometimes we can be so close to something and totally miss it. You know what I'm talking about? We could be around it all the time. We think we really got it figured out and entirely whiff, entirely strike out on something. Uh, maybe it's a sports thing. You know, I mentioned that Tony Mandrich, Packer. How many of you, by the way, hadn't heard the name Tony Mandrich until this morning? Is there anybody? Holy man. <laughs> Wait, when the Packers drafted Tony Mandrich, we really thought that we thought the best, found the best thing since cheddar cheese. It was not that good. But epic fails. There's a lot of them. And really, it's, about, it's not about a fail so much this morning, but it's a, it's a miss. And I want to look at something that I think is really relevant to all of us that I think truly we miss on a lot. And I've got to tell you, there's only a couple of us in the room that are not in the same place as the rest of you in the room. Me and Judy. Judy, our administrator, do not have the same kind of topic this is not quite as relevant for us today. Well, it's irrelevant. It's a different kind of relevance for us today. If I, if I was preaching and it was just Judy in the room, I would totally change some of the content of this message. And you'll understand when I get there. The bones of the message are the same, but some of the content I would really switch around. But I think all of us in the room will relate to something in this message. And I've got to tell you, until a few years ago, this was my world. And I, I, I'm talking about professions. I'm talking about jobs, work. And, you know, I don't hear, I've not heard a lot of preaching on jobs. Uh, every now and then there's a message on jobs, and it's usually related to something like work so you can give glory to God in your job. But I think of jobs, our professions are much more comprehensive. If you're retired, maybe you volunteer. 
Or maybe you have a ministry, and these principles would also apply there. Okay? But for everybody who's still working, every day that you work, I think this, this is something that's up in your nose. And, you know, work is all through the Bible, by the way. It's stacked through it. For example, God makes Adam. In Genesis 2, he puts Adam to work in the garden. And he starts to give Adam instructions on what to do in the garden. Okay, Adam, here's your job. I'm going to put you to work. We see the first man get the first job with instructions from God. God is connected to work. Paul. Paul was a tent maker. And he would raise money. He had a profession. You know, he was a Pharisee but he, before he became a uh, believer. Uh, but he had a profession also. And as he became a believer, he would use that profession from time to time to fund his travels. He made it very clear. It, 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 you know, he would, if he didn't work, he wouldn't eat. At different times, he would teach this. Joseph is an interesting guy. Joseph, the coat of many colors, right? He's working uh, for Pharaoh in Egypt. Because of his job working for Pharaoh, he was able to reconnect with his family. And because of his job, he was able to even save his family. If he wouldn't have had that job, who knows? But he, got, he reconnected with his family because of his job, and he was able to save his family because of his job. Moses met his wife while she was working, Zipporah. And Moses saw the burning bush while he was working. Imagine that, you're at work. You see something that's not really on fire, but sort of on fire. Esther, she saved all the Jews because of her job. Uh, Daniel, go ahead, let's look at this slide. Daniel, I've spoken on Daniel before. Daniel, I think, is probably the most prolific employee in the Bible. Maybe there's others, but he's my, my most prolific employee in the Bible. And we get lots of illustrations from Daniel and the kind of life that he had as an employee. He really didn't apply for the job he got. He just got it, right? He was a Jew and captured. They were conquested and he was taken to work in Babylon. He didn't have any choice in his career. I don't know if you, any of you ever have jobs that you don't like. But Daniel sure, sure got a job he didn't, was, probably didn't aspire to as a young child. I think when I wake up, I want to be a, a, a forced employee, a slave employee. I think that's what I want to do. And I'm being really facetious, right? He had rough working conditions. You know, he got to eat the king's food. The problem with the king's food was it disagreed with his king, with God, and the food that the Jews were supposed to eat, being kosher. And so it was really a problem for him. And what he was going to do, he stuck with other folks. Uh, they did bad work, and he had to fix it. And so we look at Daniel and with these other people, we see such connection uh, to their jobs and, and experiences with the Lord or experiences in their family. Our job has to be more than just a job. And this is the part that I think is the miss it part. I don't think it's just a job. I think it's a critical piece of our discipleship. And a lot of times we wake up in the morning, and although I got to tell you right now, what I do for a living, I really, I enjoy it. I mean, it's hard. I got to tell you, part of my job is really hard. But I enjoy doing what I do. But I still understand the concept of a job, right? So when I say we, please, please follow with me here that I, I, I understand this. You wake up in the morning, and you go to work, and you might not want to be at that job. You might, you might have bad things going on at that job. Did you ever stop and think about all of the things that you developed through in your job 
that you wouldn't put up with anywhere else? Have you ever had somebody at your job talk to you in a way that you wouldn't let anybody in your family talk to you? But yet we do, and you go back to the job the next day, don't you? And you think, I wouldn't let anybody talk to me the way you just talked to me, but yep, you're going right back to it. We go through things on jobs that are unlike anything anywhere else. We have terrible things happen to us at jobs. We're with our, our coworkers a lot of times more often than we're with our family. Sometimes our coworkers can know us more than our own family can know us. Isn't that something to think about? But it's true, isn't it? They know all kinds of stuff about us, and we see, they see the highs and the lows in our life, but we learn through all of this. And if we treat our jobs as a job, that's just what we're going to learn from it, job stuff. But I think God's designed a job to be much more than just a job. I do think it's a critical piece of our discipleship. And if we look through all of the Word and all of the things in the Bible with all kinds of people that work and the illustrations and the parables of Jesus, we see that jobs are really relevant topics. You know, Jesus uses parables, uh, job-related parables, more than 40 times. More than 40 times in the Scriptures. Jobs are a big deal. So let's just, let's just start with this kind of this, a bit of a bang. I think, it's a, I think it's a powerful illustration. Go ahead, Maddie. So there's a couple verses here. Man goes out to work and to his labor until the evening. That's Psalm 104. Exodus 8, 1. And the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. And finally, Joshua 24, 15. But it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay. Those underlined words along with the word work in the first verse, which I, I, didn't, I neglected to underline, those four words are all the same Hebrew word for avoda, avoda, A-V-O-D-A-H, avoda. Work. And you know work also in that ancient Hebrew also means worship. Same word. Same word. God sends us to work. Let's translate this a little bit. God sends us to a place where we can worship. Work and worship are connected. You can't have work without worship. You can't have worship without work for a believer. That's an attention getter, isn't it? Every time you strap up, you get yourself ready for the day, you go to your job, whatever your job is, you're not just going to work. You're going to worship at work, or you're going to work while you worship. That's good. That's good. Our jobs are part of our discipleship journey. They are not just jobs. They're part of our discipleship journey. You know, there's, a, there's a, an interesting thing that's happening with generations. And I think we can, we, I'm a Gen Xer, and I, we can blame some of this on Gen X. And then the millennials, you guys came along and you jumped on the Gen X side of this. So baby boomers and, and builders, the, the generation before the boomers, we kind of muddied things up for you a little bit. Generations are seeing discipleship 
split in a very different kind of way. Older generations view discipleship as a, uh, as a chance to really understand and, and, and take on the nature of Christ. And I think that's what discipleship actually is according to the Bible. Younger generations, though, like generally see discipleship for knowing a lot of stuff about the Lord. You see, if I'm a good disciple, I'll really know a lot. I'll put myself in a lot of experiences to know about God, to really know what the Word says. And that's not really true. It's really taking on the nature. So if I go, if I go to a job, and if you go to a job, and we know about the Lord, that's not really going to do anything for us at that job. It's just going to help us with our conduct. But if we're looking to take on the nature of Christ when we go to our job, we're really looking to make a difference in that job. So it's really important to understand discipleship is about taking on the nature. So when I talk about jobs, and I say our job, our workplace is a chance to really take on a discipleship, I'm saying it's a take on the nature. And how do we grow through that? How do we take that on? This is a really big deal. By the way, you know who knows a lot about the Lord? The devil. He knows a lot about the Lord. The devil has actually sat down with physical Jesus. I don't think anybody here has done that. He knows a lot about the Lord. It's not knowing about the Lord that matters so much. It's taking on the image, taking on that Christ-like image. Okay, so I want to just, for the rest of our time, I just want to share a couple tidbits on ways that discipleship can flourish in your job. Ways that you can foster discipleship while you're working. You tracking with me? Because I know you're working. I'm working. How do we foster it? Number one, don't be perfect. Don't be perfect. Don't pretend to be perfect. Don't try to be perfect. Just be real. Do you know they know when you're faking it? Your coworkers know. Have you ever worked with anybody anywhere, and you don't, don't answer this question out loud. Have you ever worked with anybody, and you think that they got this like whole perfect image? You know, they, they act like they've got everything all just going on until that bad day at work happens. And you see them in this epic meltdown, and you're like, wow, I didn't know you had it in you. <laughs> right? It happens. Be yourself. Don't try to be anything else. Don't try to act, act like the perfect Christian. Just be you. Serve the Lord. Have good days. Have bad days. And, and you know... It's just going to happen. You're going to have bad days. Just be you. And if you mess up, you mess up. And hopefully you don't make the same mistake twice. I remember one time I was working and there was a guy, we had a, it was group shared piecework. So which means if somebody's slow, the whole group makes less pieces. If one person's slow, the whole group has less work. And I was slow. I was in a group and I was making a bunch of widgets, doing what I was doing. And I was the slow guy because I was learning a new thing. It was my first day on a new, on a new piece, making a new widget. And I didn't know how to do it, so I'm just trying to figure it out as I go. And a guy named Dave came over, and he's really yelling at me, what's your problem? You're working so slow. You're taking money out of my wallet. And he's just going and going and going and going and going and going and going. And I finally, he just stopped, and I said, Matt, and he stopped with this. He said, and you call yourself a Christian? And I said, I know, thank God I'm forgiven and not ha- don't have to be perfect. That was good enough. <laughs> and so we're going to have bad days. Don't try to pretend you're not going to. 
So when you're at work, just be you and be able to communicate and see others through that lens. Don't go to work and act like Joe Christian. Just be you. Let the Holy Spirit flow on that. Number two, always work hard. It sounds like a no-brainer. This sounds like a no-brainer. And some of you have never worked in an environment like this. Have, how many of you have worked in an environment where if you work too hard, your coworkers get mad at you? And they say things like, slow it down, you're going to make us all look bad. You're going to kill us here. Knock it off, buddy. Now, if you've never worked in an environment like that, i got to tell you, you're really lucky. Because those environments are brutal. Slow it down, you're killing us. And I've worked in those multiple times. And here's the, here's the, here is how it impacts discipleship. Learn to walk the line of working as hard as you can without making everybody really mad at you. And there is a way to do it. And I think every environment has a different way. I don't think there's one cookie-cutter approach to it. I remember once I was working in a, uh, it was individual piecework in another place, and it was individual, and I had all my widgets, and I'm making, and I'm doing really well, actually, and I'm making a lot of money, and you get paid by how many pieces you make. And I'm making a lot of, I'm making good money. And uh, other people started getting mad at me, and they started to show up, and, they, and one day around my machine, a group of guys shows up, and they tell me to slow down and make them all look bad. I'm like, oh, no. So do you know what I started to do? And I could do this at this place. This was all right. I started to make parts for them. I would work hard, get my parts made, and then I would go to their station and make parts for them for free. I would just show up and do their widgets. Do it for an hour, go back to work. They stopped yelling at me. They stopped yelling. Now, some shops you can't do that. My point is, we got to figure out how to work as hard as possible and still be a good testimony. And it's a juggling act, and some of you know what I mean. It's a juggling act to do it. Discipleship requires us to work hard. And the Lord requires us to be a good testimony. So you've got to find that line. And I'll tell you, by working hard, your professional doors will open. You will have career opportunities by working hard. You know the expression, you, you're going to work, you, you're working hard or hardly working. I'm, work, ah, I'm hardly working. <laughs> if you want to be, have a successful career, you've got to work hard. If you want to be a successful disciple, you've got to work hard. But you've still got to be a good testimony. So finding that line is a challenge. And I, you know, I know this sounds like a no-brainer for some of you, but for those of you who work in places who have challenges with working too hard, it's still on you to find that line. Figure out how to work as hard as you can and be a good testimony. Be creative. Seek the Lord. God, how do I, do, how do I work hard? How do I work as hard as I possibly can? Because that's what discipleship calls for. And also, I truly believe your career will flourish because of it. Number three, with all your relationships, wherever they are at work, avoid the lingo, the Christian lingo, Christianese. They have no idea what you're talking about. And my favorite expression is, and you go to work and you say this stuff, and a lot of times they'll just be really polite and just go, oh, my favorite expression is, have you been washed in the blood? If you go to your job and you say that to some of your coworkers, are you washing the blood? The, I don't know. Maybe they'll say something to you right away, or maybe they'll just go, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But when you turn around, they'll say something. That person's crazy. What are they talking about? Are you washed in the blood? 
This lingo that we put on and we take on and we, we speak this stuff, this Christianese, and we go to work and we speak it, and you know, we, we, we sound holy at work, and they think we're loons. Here's the discipleship challenge. Are you ready? Say the same stuff without using the lingo. There you go. That's the challenge. Say the same stuff without using the lingo. Don't sound like a Christian robot. Oh, you lost. You know, just... <laughs> you can even use that expression as a, as a dialogue starter. You know, you're working someday and you're standing next to somebody. And you know, Have you ever heard anybody say, are you washed in the blood? You ever heard that song? Some people are like, oh yeah, it's crazy. I remember once I was talking to somebody who was not a believer, but she went to a church, she was telling me, where these people hold their hands up when they sing. And I looked at her and, and the lingo would say, yes, we would all worship the Lord Jesus. But I don't want to say the lingo, right? So I looked at her and I said, why do you think they do that? And she said, I don't know, like Jesus is like lightning in their fingertips. And he comes down and then they get like lightning. <laughs> yes. Dialogue without the lingo. Really. Dialogue without the lingo. Find ways to say the exact same stuff about the Lord because he's amazing. But don't use the words. It is hard. If you've never done this, you should know. I think it's very, very hard. And it's so much challenge. Let's say you're a stay-at-home mom. Teach your kids, or a stay-at-home dad, Teach your kids without the same Christianese lingo. Same thing. No lingo. Lingo is not helpful to us. It makes us Christian automatons. How about this one? Number four. Agape, agape, agape. Love them more, love them more, love them more. This 1 Corinthians 13 love. This is a big deal. You know, I know, and I'm not even there, Probably there's somebody that you work with that doesn't like you. What do you think, Peter? I work with one person. I'm not sure if she always likes me. Probably there's somebody, and maybe everybody likes you. Maybe you're in a shop where you all get along and you have a great relationship. But you know what I mean. It's not uncommon in your job to have somebody you not happy with you or not like you or not be want to work with you or whatever. It's not uncommon in the workplace. At all. So, what I suggest in this agape, agape, agape is remember the command to agape, to agape, agape. To do more for them and expect nothing back. Don't go to work expecting anything from anybody in that way. Outdo them. Outdo them in love. Outdo them in love. They might not reciprocate, but so what? Agape says don't expect back. You know the exception to that? Never. Don't expect back. <laughs> outdo them. Outdo them. Every day you go to work, work harder. They come at you, be nice. If we get in that mindset, it's all right. I've had people conspire against me. Daniel did. I mean, I mean, really, literally conspire against me. And, and work to get me out of projects, work to get me away from the team, work to get me in all of these environments. And I know some of you had also. And you know, the command from God is still the same. Agape, agape, agape. It's not agape unless they conspire against you. 
I mean, we have a wonderful picture in Daniel with it. I mean, they conspired against him to the point of getting him thrown in a lion's den. And he still didn't go after him. Out love him. And for some people, that's really easy to do to out love him. <laughs> we don't get the chance to agape much in our family, not out love in our family. Sometimes we do in our families, but not like we do at work. And it is our chance to really grow in agape. You with me? Number five, don't gossip. You know, it's amazing. We can do so well in the other things I mentioned, but if we just talk just a little bit, it just flames out all those efforts. You know that water cooler gossip, this is a funny thing. Ladies, you've taken the brunt of jokes for years and years and years about being gossips. All these jokes, ladies, remember back in the, you know, women, there'd be cartoons way back where two ladies would be speaking over a fence, you know, the backyard gossips. But I got to tell you, men, men, men can gossip. Holy guacamole. Men, men can out-gossip women. It's just a very different style. Don't gossip at work. Don't talk about anybody unless it's a nice thing. And you know how it, you know it is, somebody walks up to you at work, and they're standing next to you, and they're like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Okay, here we go. Here we go. Straight to the gossip, right? They're going to tell you all about so-and-so. You know what you say back? Oh. They must have a hard time. Just drop it. Don't ask. Don't offer your opinion back. Gossip can kill it. can kill a testimony. Which leads us to the last one, number six, to work on discipleship. Part of our discipleship call is to tell others about the Lord. There's no, it is so easy to be at work with people who don't know the Lord and tell them about the Lord. I have a very difficult time in my job finding people to tell about the Lord. So does Judy. <laughs> Judy, have you ever thought about giving your life to the Lord? Yeah, she, it's very difficult. In your job, on the other hand, and if you're a stay-at-home, if you've got play dates or you go to pools or, or functions, you have more accessibility during your day than I do. Find people to tell about the Lord. It's very difficult to do if you're talking about them. Find people to tell about the Lord. It's not an option. It's a direct directive. Find people. Think of new ways without the lingo to tell them about the Lord. You don't have to, are you washed? How do you introduce, and, and, and it can't be, you know, this, it's not a telling about the Lord like they know I go to church. Woo-hoo. Tell them about the Lord. Tell them about having a relationship. Tell them about the difference he's made in your life. Think about ways to say that. Think about ways to drive to that. This is a big deal. This is part of a discipleship journey, and we can do that at work in ways we can't do that at home. And we can't do that when we come to church. We need work sometimes to do that. We have functions at church, and sometimes we have functions to invite people to, specifically to, to bring coworkers, and hopefully every Sunday is like that. Well, we need to tell them. Being at work is very much a discipleship journey. It's not a... It's not just a thing that we do during our day. It's not this black hole of time so we can get a paycheck and go live our life. That's what the world's perspective of work is. But from our believer's perspective, we realize that the Lord moves in our life and develops us spiritually by what we do at work. We go to work, if we're negative, 
we're no way going to be a good testimony, and we're shooting ourselves in the discipleship foot. <coughs> Go to the last slide here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do, do not depend on your own understanding. Set, uh, seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. You know, the directives at work, sometimes we don't know what's up. Every day changes at work. Uh, sometimes you work, some of you, I'm sure, work in volatile environments. Remember that. Just trust God. Just trust God. Trust God that your job is a discipleship journey. Every day that you're there is part of a discipleship journey. It's not a happenstance thing but you being there. You're not there because you're amazing. You're there because he put you there. Colossians 3, whatever you do, do uh, work heartily. That's the Lord and not for men. You know, when you're on your job, just honor God while you're there. It's part of that discipleship journey. The final one, 2 Thessalonians 3, nor did we want uh, eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor. We worked, you know, the point here is we don't get anything for nothing. You know, we work for our money, and while we're there, we'd be good testimony, and we grow through it. It's really, truly part of our discipleship journey. Amen? Amen. So I want to encourage you. I know if you've got a job and you go to work, I'm sure that there's days that are bad days, but it's all an experience to draw closer to the Lord. It's all an experience to see Him show up in your life in different ways that you can't see when you go to church in the same way or you can't see in the same way when you're, when you're at home. Your job is very much an intentional part of the design that God has for your life. It really is. And if you're a stay-at-home, that is an intentional part for what God has for your life. And you can do these things there. If you're a retiree and you minister or you volunteer somewhere, it's very much an intentional part. We grow by doing. And the Holy Spirit's in that. He's in us as we do that. Okay? So we're all together. Just hang in there. If you've got a tough day at work, it's discipleship. That many more jewels in your crown in heaven. Please stand up. Kind of a funky message. I don't think I've ever heard a preacher preach on that message before. But it's such a big part of our life, isn't it? I sure am glad I like my job. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord God, we do recognize that you work in us all the time. Even when we're sleeping, you, you're not checking out on us. You don't leave us when we go to work, and you don't wait for us to come back after work. You're with us even there. So, Lord God, I pray for everybody here. I pray that all of us have a better sense of all of these hours in our day are real-time hours to grow as disciples for you. Help us, Lord, help us see you more. Help us see the things that you're doing in our life so we can glob onto them. I pray for blessings on my friends here, Lord, and their families and the things that they do. Thank you, God, for this house. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. You know, I shared this, I, I, I just, uh, I was in a hospital about a year and a half ago, and I was walking down the hallway, and there was a sign in the wall that they spent a lot of money on, actually. It looked like a very expensive sign, and it was a quote by St. Francis Assisi. And I don't know much about St. Francis, but he had this really wonderful quote of something that he invented, a speech that he invented, and it was really meaningful to the people as they decorated the hospital, they, meaningful enough to put in the wall. And... Uh, and I, I shared this quote, and I want to share it again. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That was his quote. Do you know what 
I appreciate St. Francis. I'm sure that he was a nice and kind man. <laughs> there was a director from God himself. And I believe these are words when they're said and they're, and they're spoken over us. I believe there's promise to these words. Otherwise, God wouldn't have had to say them. So may we walk in that and be blessed every day. Thank you again for downloading and listening to this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We are located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And if you are looking for a church to call home or would like to visit us for one of our services, please visit our site at gracecf.us for our location and service times. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.